Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Yeah. I loved it when our staff brought that to us to use today as a great testimony. It reminds us that so many of our founding fathers intended to found this great nation on Christian principles. And I'm I'm personally glad, I'm personally grateful that I was born in this land, I'm a citizen of this country. But the Bible says that when I commit my life to Jesus Christ, that expands my citizenship. And so in a time when our nation is in great flux, in in an election year that, that seems to be challenging both political parties, major political parties, in a time when values are being questioned and challenged and terrorists are on the attack. I think it's worth, for those of us who who follow Jesus Christ in particular, to examine what it means to be a citizen and how do we view then our land, our our government here. And and as I was looking through this and praying and thinking on it, uh, found some material from a pastor named Mike Faberas that helped me get a handle on some of this, and I'd like to share some of that with you. Uh, The first seven verses of the 13th chapter of Romans, they're very important for us today. If you have your Bible, you may even want to go ahead and open that to Romans 13. They talk about the role of the governing authorities and how Christians, therefore, are to regard them. And yet to understand what is being said in Romans chapter 13, we actually have to back up to chapter 12 to see what the Apostle Paul, the writer of Romans, writing this to Christians in Rome, what he had to say. Because 13 flows out of the end of chapter 12. And so in talking about how followers of Christ are to live, to live out their faith, and there are examples of that all through the the 12th chapter of Romans, one thing that Paul tells us is that, we, that it is not for us to take revenge. Quoting from an Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy, Romans 12, 19 says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And listen, because this is important. This isn't necessarily where a lot of us like to be sometimes. But the Bible says that you and I, especially, I mean, particularly for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, have no authority nor permission to personally settle the score. Now that may stick in, a couple of your, in the craw of a couple of you. It may not feel right. It may not be something that, that you're personally excited about because you may have experienced some wrongs. And, and, and it leaves us with a very distinctive problem. What do I do if someone steals my car? Or you can think of another example, but let's use that. Do, do I then take comfort that someday that person is going to have to face Jesus and answer for stealing my car, and so I'll just wait on, on the wrath of God to take care of them probably after I'm dead? Does that seem very satisfying? Or do I pray that God would suddenly and supernaturally afflict them with boils and plagues? Or do I forgive them because they really didn't understand and I just suck it up and take the loss? 
That probably doesn't go very well. Or do I, do I call this a matter of injustice and call it to the attention of the civil authorities? That's where Paul, the Apostle Paul is going in Romans 13. He's telling us that while we're called to love, and in fact, we are told that it is not our, our right as followers of Jesus Christ to exact revenge personally, that does not mean that the thief should not be held responsible for her or his crimes. As followers of Christ, we are called to live differently from the world around us, from the way things are, the way things typically happen. At the beginning of Romans chapter 12, the, very, the second verse, it in fact says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. It's telling us that the way the world handles things, the way it goes about doing stuff, is not to be the way you and I who follow Jesus are to live. In fact, I'm to be so different that I am to pledge my allegiance to Jesus Christ first of all. We celebrated that pledge last Sunday with those baptisms. Because each person to, to be baptized, and each one of us in this room who has made the decision to be baptized, has, has pledged that we put Jesus Christ first in our lives as, as Savior and Lord. That he is our King, our ruler, our Lord. But if that's the case, then, then what role does a government have? What role do the authorities have in my life? And here's where Paul wants to help us see clearly that even though we follow Christ, government still has a legitimate and important role in our lives as planned and set into place by God himself. Turning now to Romans 13, verse 1. Paul writes, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And as we dig into this passage, I mean, I want, I want you to notice the very first word. It says everyone. It doesn't say most of you. There is no asterisk by that word. If you're in your Bibles, look and see. I don't think you'll find an asterisk by everyone in your Bible. It's not in the notes we printed. It's not on the screen that we've shown you. Paul means what he says. We are all to submit ourselves to the governing authorities. And we do this, Paul says, because governing authorities have been established by God. Those are the words of God in the Bible. In verse 2 it says, Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. For those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Paul says, resisting the authorities that God himself instituted sets up those who resist for God's judgment. Verse 3, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and he will commend you, for he is God's servant to do you good. The government and those who serve in it were established by God to serve us for our own good. And this is so important in this context because Paul is writing to Christians at the church in Rome. 
This was not a place where Christians had it easy. This was a place where there were already beginning to be some persecutions and and some things working against Christians, and yet God is saying that this has been established, these governments, for their own good. And if that sounds surprising to you, just imagine how surprising it must have been to to the readers of this letter from Paul. He goes on, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For he, the government authorities, does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. And here now we maybe can see why God can tell us that we are not to seek revenge. Even when someone has done you wrong, as probably every single one of us in this room has experienced, that we are not to seek revenge ourselves personally here on earth because God has given that responsibility in, in most areas to the governing authorities. He says, he says they are the ones to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And as this is done well, it creates a safer, better environment for Christians to live out their faith and share it with others. Paul, in writing to to Timothy, not in your notes, but he said, pray for rulers and all who have authority so that we can have quiet and peaceful lives full of worship and respect for God. We are told to pray for the authorities. Vengeance, then, is left to God and then the means that God put in place to deal with that in our world, the ruling authorities. Paul says we obey in order to avoid punishment, but also as a matter of conscience because this is God's plan. This is what God put into place, and we've committed to trusting and obeying him. Paul continues, this is also why you pay taxes. That's a fun phrase to read. I mean, are you thrilled to see that? But there it is in the Bible. This is why, also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Our taxes enable those who serve in government, the president, but not just the president, also the cabinet and the legislators and all also especially our police officers, our firefighters, our military, these gentlemen that we recognized and led us in singing uh, 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 America the Beautiful just a few minutes ago. We pay them to do that, to do their jobs all the time so that there is always someone with the responsibility of carrying out the authority of the government to provide structure and safety for us the rest of us, to pursue our faith safely in this land. Now, I, I know we got to acknowledge that the setting for the first century Christian was different from ours, at least certainly for those of us who live here in America today. We don't live in a culture that is completely, totally anti-Christian. Christ followers back then paid a huge price and an increasingly big price to submit to and follow Jesus. And yet God still expects, just as he expected them, he expects us to make the same commitment, 
to follow Christ and make him Lord. The, the setting, the, the consequences may be different, at least to here in America today, but the commitment that he intends for his followers has never changed. It is still the same to make Jesus Lord. Now, the Bible also uses other language to describe Jesus' place. In fact, as we were singing, we were using some of these different phrases. We say he is king, and Christ's followers have committed their loyalty then to his kingdom, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's not that national loyalties can or, or, or shouldn't exist, but that this is bigger. This is more than national loyalty. And, and as I say that on July 3rd, that may be hard for some to hear. And it was certainly hard in the time of Jesus. On Palm Sunday, he entered Jerusalem and the crowds hailed him as king. Uh, the things they were saying, the things they were doing, all communicated to them and to those around them that we believe Jesus is king. And in fact, this was how the jealous Pharisees were able to get Jesus brought up on charges before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. In John 18, Pilate summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And of course, Pilate's asking this from a position of authority, a position of strength. He is the, the ruler in that land, in that area. He has the, the backing of, of Roman soldiers to enforce the law. He's holding all the cards. But Jesus asked back, is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? Pilate says, I'm, am I a Jew? <laughs> like, what do I know about this? It, it was your people, your chief priests, who handed you over to me. What is it you've done? See, Pilate, Pilate doesn't understand why Jesus is here in front of him and why people are so upset. Yes, he might have been worried that someone was trying to be a king, but as he started to see who this Jesus was and see he didn't have followers, there weren't people standing around, there weren't people milling at the gate, there weren't people rattling sabers. He all of a sudden is not so worried. He cannot understand why the Jews have handed him over to him. But Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is, is from another place. And, and if you look at that verse, twice Jesus talks about my kingdom. And it's just a reminder. Who has a kingdom? A king. Jesus is testifying exactly who he is. But he says his kingdom isn't like other kingdoms. If it were, his kingdom servants would be battling the Romans to prevent all of this from happening. Pilate says, you're a king then. Jesus answered, you're right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. See, Jesus says, yes, that's right. I am a king. And those who follow me as king are on the side of truth. Who are those that follow him, who are on the side of the truth? Are, are they just the Jews? Because those were his followers primarily at that point. No, interestingly. In fact, it is not limited to the Jews, which Jesus had been saying all along, which the, even throughout the Old Testament had said. Yes, he came to the Jew first, but he is now 
also coming to the Gentiles, fulfilling the covenant that God had made 2,000 years earlier with the, the patriarch Abraham, that many nations, many peoples would come from his offspring. See, God's kingdom was not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. Now, when I use the word Gentiles, I mean, in this day and this age, most of us know who a Jew is, but when I say a Gentile, for some of us, if we haven't grown up in the church or we haven't been around, that's a strange word. But here's the easy thing to understand about a Gentile. Whenever you read that word in the Bible, it's anyone that's not a Jew. It's everyone else. So for the two or three or four of you who have Jewish ancestry, you are part of the Jews. For all the rest of us, we're Gentiles. That's us. That's me. I'm a Gentile. By, by, by the reckoning and the definition of the Bible here. And, and the point is that Jesus has come for me as well. That I am here. That Jesus told his disciples after the resurrection, he said to them in Acts 1, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Okay, that's good, that's cool. That's where the Jews come. It's a central city. In all Judea, that's the land of the Jews, yes, and Samaria, now that begins to be a problem because the Samaritans were believed to be sort of half-blooded Jews. They weren't full-blooded. In fact, the Jews disdained the Samaritans. But then Jesus takes it a step further and he says, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, he's just stepped outside of all the Jewish territories to include everybody else. Jesus says this because he is building a kingdom which he says, that's why I came, to testify to this truth. And, and everyone, he says, on the side of truth listens to him. That's not clicking with Pilate. And philosophically, he says, what is truth? I mean, he's just kind of like, what are you talking about? And then it says, with this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But Jesus showed us that he is a king. He is building a kingdom, a kingdom that supersedes national boundaries, a, a kingdom that supersedes ethnic divisions that have always been among human beings because of sin. And as his followers, Christ followers, Christians have chosen to make him Lord. That's part of the affirmation that every Christ follower makes in order to be baptized. When we talk to those folks last week about being baptized, and when you were talked about, we said not only do you make him Savior, but you make him Lord. Not only does he save you from your sins, but you commit to follow him from this day forward to make him Lord, to put him first in your life. That is for those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, that is the commitment you made. Now, whether or not any of us live that out fully is always up for grabs, and that's why we need the Holy Spirit, because we can't do that perfectly. But the Lord means he is in charge. He is large and in charge in my life. In fact, the earliest creed or statement of belief in the early church was Jesus is Lord. He is the ruler. He is king of my life. In Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. There's that testimony. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. We become a part of his kingdom when we confess Jesus is Savior and Lord. We have professed our allegiance to him and to his kingdom. We have put him first. That's the point we're trying to make. That's what we are supposed to be saying. We become people on the side of the truth who listen and obey Jesus, who is preparing his kingdom and bringing it to earth. Jesus said in Matthew, 
This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says that's how we pray. That's where we begin in our prayer. That's our focus, to pray to honor the great, the heavenly Father, the King of kings, Lord of lords, Father of our King Jesus, to pray for the coming of his kingdom. And, and later in the same chapter, Jesus tells us, his followers, that we are to live for his kingdom wherever we are. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. In other words, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have our own constitution laid out in God's word that stands above the rules of any other nation. Whether it was the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago or it's the United States today. I mean, that is who we are. For those of us who profess our faith in Jesus Christ, that is at the core of our identity because it's about our true and eternal citizenship. That's why Paul said in, to the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. Now, it has not fully come into this time and place. We know that when Jesus came, he began, he inaugurated, he started work on the kingdom of heaven. And, and it has not fully come, and we do not see it all around us. In fact, we see the brokenness of our world but he promises that he will return, and when he returns, when he comes back, he will bring the kingdom in all its fullness to conquer all, to be in charge of all. Paul writes, so that we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Notice, everything, everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. He is coming and someday will reveal himself so that on that day, as Paul wrote to the Philippians, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, even in hell. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He, he's saying, if you're smart, you're going to get on board and you're going to become a part of his kingdom now. Because the day is coming. Whenever he returns, and, and he says it'll be like a thief in the night, he says we won't know until it happens. But when that time comes, everyone will kneel. You know, you, you, you see a, a movie or a story or you go back to the time of the Romans and when they came into a community or they conquered it, then they had everybody kneel and profess their allegiance to the king, whether they wanted to or not. They had no choice. And Paul is saying on that day when Jesus returns, every knee will bow, including the evil of this world. That is the kind of power he wields, that he is, in, he is able to force the demons and Satan himself to bow. But he will also force those who have not professed their faith, who have waited too long 
who also bow. But that is, for those of us who are Christ followers today, that is our confession, that Jesus is Lord. He is our King. And, and He is our hope, for our King is coming back. No matter what we have been through, no matter what we experience, no, no matter the kind of brokenness that we see in our world that we experience, He is coming back and our true and ultimate citizenship is in heaven. We are, another way to put it is, we are God's expatriates. Now, I, I don't know about you, I, I, I confess I'd never thought of this before, but expats are people whose citizenship lies elsewhere than the country in which they live. Some of you may be expats living here right now in the United States. You have citizenship elsewhere. And in essence, these scriptures are telling us that that is how God wants us to see ourselves. No matter what country we live in, no matter where we were born, no matter what government we are under, we are to follow Jesus Christ. We are expats. But because we are in this land as expats, according to Romans 13, we are to submit to the governing authorities. And the word expatriate is kind of an interesting word to study. It comes from Greek, then Latin, to Old English, in our English word today. Ex means out of. Patri, which is a transliteration of a Greek word into Latin, means homeland or nation. And several hundred years ago, when that word was first translated from Latin into that Old English, it was always used, it was always used in the sense of heaven. Christians preached that they were heading to Patria because their real homeland, their real country, their real citizenship was in heaven. They lived outside their homeland and so were expatriates. And the same is true for followers of Jesus today. Our homeland is the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and if you understand that, if that is true for you, then you're probably like the rest of us. You can't wait for it to come. You see the brokenness in our land. You see the hurt. You see the disappointment. You see the sin and the, the death and the disease. And you say, come, Lord Jesus, come. No matter what this world throws at us, though, no, no matter what terrorists do, no matter who is running for which party, no matter who gets elected, see, the thing we know is that the true kingdom is coming where justice and righteousness will reign forever and ever. And that is what we are called to focus on. That should be the focus of our hearts and lives. In Colossians, Paul said, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated and at the right hand of God. Set your mind, minds on things above, not on earthly things. And in that day, the assurance, the promises, every injustice will be righted. Every crooked place will be made straight. Every human infirmity will be healed and we will be transformed into the image and likeness of Christ himself, our glorified king. That's what our hearts beat for. If, if, if we follow Jesus, that's what we look forward to. And, and for that reason, we should wake up every morning and pledge our allegiance to our king and his kingdom. And yet it's also why this passage in Romans 13 is so important today. Because it tells us that God himself, 
in this broken world instituted governing authorities and we cannot just dismiss them out of hand. Yes, we are living in the in-between times, between when he came, when he will come again. Yes, we are living in, a times, in times where there is still sin is rampant, where death occurs, where there is lying, cheating, stealing, where, where sexuality is abused in so many ways. And, and so when the ruling authority wants us to pay taxes, we might otherwise say, well, no way. I'm a citizen of heaven. I don't have to pay you. My homeland is in heaven. Yeah, I'll pay to heaven, but I'm not going to pay to your government or to what this government's doing or how it's doing things. I don't like the way you're handling things. I don't like the way you're spending money. And it was at precisely this point as God, as, as, as Paul was speaking to individuals who were affirming that their citizenship was in heaven and yet who still lived in a broken, sin-filled world that he said everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Not just the local residents, not just the non-Christians. He's speaking to Christians here in particular. He says there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. God instituted governments in a broken and sin-filled world to serve as the interim means to battle lawlessness and even evil, rampant evil. And so to rebel against the government means to rebel against God himself. Now, let me remind us, this is a sin-filled world. There are no perfect governments. Regardless of the country or the system or the political party or the candidate, and there are occasions when individuals or systems have so corrupted a government that it no longer functions to protect its citizens from evil. But in the vast majority of governments, the instituted system God has given to us provide a way to correct poor or inadequate leadership. The government is more than any one leader or party, but also includes the means within its own system to bring about correction and change. So listen. Yes, we live in an imperfect world. And I don't care what government you go to in, in this world today. It's imperfect. And therefore, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have every right to prayerfully seek the best government we can put into place. We have every right to campaign for candidates and platforms that we believe can help be helpful for the sake of justice and righteousness of the kingdom. We have every right to vote and participate in government and give our resources toward that. And in fact, we should. That's what the Bible says. We should. Jesus told us to pray and seek that his kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven. But even as we may campaign for change, the Bible tells us that we must support and pray for the government authorities, such as our elected officials, but also those who serve it, such as our police officers, our firefighters, our EMTs, our administrators, our military. And we pay our taxes to enable them to do their jobs to limit and punish lawbreakers and evil in our world today. 
God instituted governments. It wasn't in the beginning, but he instituted governments in a broken and sin-filled world to serve as this interim means to overcome evil, to avenge the wrong, to fight for justice, to proclaim truth. And he tells us to leave vengeance to him through his instituted authorities, knowing that even if they do not do that, Jesus is coming back and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Every individual will give account for their sins and be judged by the infinite, just God through his son, Jesus Christ. In the meantime, though, we, we have a hope then that overrides any government, any candidate, any platform, and that is that ultimately we are expats. We are citizens of another kingdom of heaven. And, and our ultimate loyalty is to our king, to our Lord, who will return and, and in that day make everything right. And we love this land. For so many of us, we, we call it home, we fight for it, but we also know that no matter what happens in, in this crazy election year, no matter what happens, as there is terrorism that is running rampant in our world and even in our land, no matter what happens, this is not our final home. Our citizenship, for those who follow Jesus, is in heaven. And as the video earlier said, many of our founding fathers believed we have no king but Jesus Christ. And like them, we love our country. We love it. And, and, and many have died for it and what it stands in. Many of you have family members that have done exactly that. And there is nothing about this that in any way diminishes what they have done. In fact, they are fulfilling God's mandate to help us all seek to live out the dreams and aspirations that those first patriots claimed as this country was founded and for those who have continued in that, that same vein through the years ever since. A guest at an official reception once said to President Abraham Lincoln that in the guest's home state, people said that the welfare of the nation depended on God and on Abraham Lincoln. And the president humbly replied, you are half right. And that's true. I love what Chuck Colson said, who saw government from the inside probably more than most of us would ever want, and who came to faith and later said, the kingdom of God will not arrive on Air Force One. And it doesn't matter who is on Air Force One. It doesn't matter which party. It doesn't matter which candidate. It doesn't matter, period. So may God bless America. But even more, Father, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. 
To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.